0: This is Chicago's College Tailgate. It's tailgate. Shay Shane Norling and Tyler Aki. Shane and Tyler on ESPN Chicago. Good
1: morning and welcome on in to Chicago's College Tailgate presented by Twin Peaks. Tyler Aki, Shane Norling. We talk college football with you every single Saturday, 9 to 11 a.m. right here on ESPN 1000. We've got Michigan to talk today. We've got a doozy of a slate to talk today. I mean, today is one of what? Excluding the championship weekend, one of the best two weekends of college football. And maybe when you talk all of football, including the NFL, this is probably the best weekend of football we have for the rest
2: of the year. Well, the NFL tomorrow, my goodness, every single slate. You want to watch the morning game, wake up early, catch Frankfurt, you get a good game. With an extra hour of sleep under your belt, too. The red zone noon action, you're getting an elite game. The early afternoon action, you're getting an elite game. The evening action, elite game. Fantastic. The NFL tomorrow's fantastic. We've got an incredible primetime slate in college tonight with two creme de la creme matchups. We
1: were talking before the show, and we were saying how, you know, the night games haven't been very good lately. The night games, you, you could kind of go with yeah. them. You could kind of just have them on in the background. You didn't have to really lock in on them. Not this week. This week we get two awesome matchups at 6 and 6.30 today with LSU and Bama uh, playing uh, today. And then also you get Washington and USC in primetime as well on ABC.
2: This night slate is so good that CBS, what's the name of the guy, Les Moonves, the guy running CBS, <laughs> parachuting from the clouds to do something they never do and broadcast a primetime Saturday night college football game in the SEC, which is where CBS belongs.
1: Yes, This is a beautiful night of college football. And you know what? It's perfect. I like the way that it's set up, too, because at 2.30, you get Mizzou and Georgia, which is another great game for today's slate as well.
2: And forget about that. You get Bedlam, the final iteration Mm -hmm. On the horizon of Bedlam, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, ABC 230. This is a little bit today, a little bit of a swan song to tradition with the final Bedlam matchup on the horizon. Obviously, Oklahoma moving to the SEC next year and not bringing Oklahoma State with them. So a little bit of a goodbye to tradition day, but this is... Tyler, these are the reasons, these days are the reason we're college football fans. No doubt you about it. You live for Saturdays like this. Yes.
1: It is. You've got a great game in every single window. You can start at
2: 11 a.m., and you can finish multiple great games. You get Kansas State, Texas mm-hmm. right at 11. You yep. get Notre Dame, Clemson. It's, I know yep. Clemson's weak, but it's a big matchup. That'll be a fun game to watch. It's a start to finish day of great football. And it's, it's great that we have it here in week
1: 10. But this week, Shay, on Tuesday, we also got our first iteration of the college football playoff rankings. About time. We finally have it, though. And for the fourth time in the last 10 years, this is the 10th release of the college football playoff rankings. 10th year. Can't believe we're already at 10 already. But for the fourth time in those 10 years, we have a disparity at number one between the CFP... And the AP Top 25, the AP heralds Georgia, but the College Football Playoff Committee says Ohio State, you are number one. Followed by Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, Washington, and Oregon are the two looking on the outside trying to get in. And then that is all rounded out with Texas, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Ole Miss as your top ten.
2: Yeah, the Ohio State thing, I mean, we knew it was going to happen. We saw this coming when we did our recap pod earlier this week. Ohio State has the two big wins. The, on the merit best alone, collection of two. You've got the Notre Dame win. You went on the road at night, South Bend. It's a hostile place to play. That final drive. You get the walk-off victory. And then they put a second on the board for the people so everybody can cover their numbers. You get that out of Ohio State. You've got the Penn State win at the shoe a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Nobody is matching them from a resume perspective. And we know how important on the field versus good teams is to this committee. It always has been. And I just, we both felt like Ohio State was going to be number one, whether we think they're the best team in the country or not. I don't. But they are deserving of being number one as we sit here on November 4th. Just kind of goes to show the rankings, whether they're the CFP rankings, the AP rankings, whatever you want to go with, they do not matter until the final set of rankings. Doesn't matter where you're at. Yep, We could easily, and maybe not easily, but we could have four new teams in here. Yeah, I mean, there could certainly be
1: a shake wherever. I mean, you look at a team like Georgia, they're going up against another top 15 team this week in Mizzou. I know that Georgia's really flipped the switch in some of these bigger games, and they look like the Georgia teams that we've seen the last two years and not the Georgia yeah. team that we saw against Auburn and South Carolina so far this season. So the, the switch flips, but what if it doesn't flip today? And Mizzou goes out and wins. That could shake up a lot of things there. Um, Washington's certainly a team that that could jump in or, or, or fall far out as well today. Um, there's a lot of moving parts here. But I think Oregon,
2: when, if you ask people, mm-hmm. me, I feel like Oregon the has been playing. The country. I think they've been playing like the best team in America. I've heard a lot of people echo that sentiment this week, talking about who are the best national title teams. I've heard a lot of people jump on Oregon as being that squad that's just playing the best football right now. Uh, it, you, this kind of goes deep, like Bama. It feels like they're back. They're ranked eighth. They're playing great
1: football right now. They've got a great game tonight against LSU. They're at home in Tuscaloosa. That's that's the game I think I'm most intrigued for. Today. There's a lot on the board, but that's the one that I, I'm going to be locked in on the most today. Because that's the one that I think, even though both of these teams are well on the outside looking in, I think the SEC, even though it's not what it's been the last couple of years, is going to be really fun when we get yeah. to that SEC championship, whether it's Georgia. Bama, LSU, even Ole Miss, I think, is a team that could be a lot of fun in the SEC championship. There's a lot of moving parts here
2: in the SEC that's going to make for an excellent championship weekend. We've talked a lot. I mean, last week we talked about just how fun the SEC East is shaping up to be, or the SEC West, excuse Mm -hmm. me. And today you're really going to see it with Bama, LSU. You could have, at the end of the day, if if LSU can pull off a win, a three-way tie in the SEC West with three games to play mm-hmm. that and all of those teams
1: electricity can create the quote-unquote circle of suck where they've all beat each other correct the
2: circle of suck what a wonderful the round robin of mm-hmm. garbage mm-hmm. welcome to the tournament of ass in the SEC West <laughs> The SEC East is also interesting. Mizzou has a chance today if they get a win, they vault into a win percentage tie in the East with Georgia. And things would have suddenly, the head-to-head. Head. Things suddenly get real interesting in the SEC East. I'm not telling you I think that's going to happen. But this conference but that you and I really have left for dead this year, this SEC, it's just it's not vintage. It's not one of those years where you look through – like, there's only six top 25 teams in the SEC in the uh, football playoff rankings. Usually, you feel like you get the you Mississippi get a couple State stragglers right. between like 18 to 25. You get the AM 25, Mississippi State 23. Mm-hmm. You get somebody at 21. Florida. Yeah. This year, there just isn't that because this conference as a whole is so weak. Georgia, the only team in the top five. Bama and Ole Miss rounding out the top 10. Ole Miss can make things interesting. Yeah, This is the most fascinating playoff ranking I've seen yet. Like, we've had 10 versions of it. It always feels kind of decided. You get the one team that leaps into the initial rankings. Two years ago, it was Michigan State. They beat Mm -hmm. Michigan. Get into the rankings at three. They immediately uh, pee down their leg at Purdue and are out. Mm -hmm. I do wonder... If Ohio State at one, Rutgers is a sneaky, sleepy, weird matchup for them today. I do wonder if this is a little bit like last year. Tennessee gets ranked number one in the college football playoff rankings. South Carolina wears wristbands and gets sent a game plan. And Tennessee, see you later. I I don't
1: see it happening against Rutgers. Like, Rutgers, I, they may be able to muck it up with you a little bit. But Ohio State, I mean... Good luck with Marvin Harrison, Jr. because he has been a wide receiver that is has the ability to impact games like a quarterback. And the way that he has just made life easier on Kyle McCord, he's got there's weapons on that Ohio State team. The defense has been fantastic, the best in the country for my, my dollar this year, all season long. It's the reason why they' are the number one team. And when you look back at if you've got any like discrepancies sort of in the top 10, The your answer lies in go to strength of record, go to strength of record, because that pretty much answers every single question, every single. Why is this team higher than that team? Every single question is answered with strength of record.
2: You know where it doesn't work is Texas and Oklahoma. It does work with Texas and Oklahoma. But Oklahoma beat Texas. Texas. I don't care. Tr- well, okay. I'm, I'm just saying. We're supposed your answer to value that. But sure, yes, but I think I'm with you. Yeah. We're supposed to value head to head. You had the commissioner of the playoff committee, whatever the hell it's called, some AD mm-hmm. somewhere, during the selection show, he's on TV going head to head is super important to us. Okay, then how, when Oklahoma and Texas are both one-loss teams, is Texas ranked ahead of Oklahoma? But, and not just that, but there's a space in between of
1: Alabama right. who has the head-to-head loss against Texas. So I get that, right? Texas
2: should be ahead of Alabama, but Oklahoma should be ahead of both of them. And I know nobody cares who's ranked 7-8-9, but just when you look at this, you go, okay, Texas beat Alabama. That makes sense. Oklahoma, they're behind both. Oklahoma beat Texas. Like, transitive property, run it up. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter. It'll work itself out. But there's, if you're going to pimp this head-to-head as being so important, you have to rank Oklahoma ahead of Texas and Alabama today. Let Oklahoma figure it out themselves. They will tell you what they are. But you can't tell me head-to-head's important and then put Oklahoma behind a team they beat. When they both have one loss, especially when that game
1: was neutral site
2: too, and it's also it's not like Texas is coming out and, and dominating good teams and since that loss. They had to survive Houston. They played a terrible BYU team. I'm like, it's not like they're pimping the resume since the loss to Oklahoma. I know Oklahoma lost to Kansas, and but they beat Texas.
1: Yes, they beat Texas. I will say, ever since that Texas game. They have looked shaky. The the near loss against UCF. Yeah. No, they haven't looked the, good. Neither team. The actual good. loss. Yeah, no. And, and quite frankly, it seems like the the Big Twelve has knocked themselves out at this point. Who in the
2: top four is the least likely to be represented in the college football playoff? I think it's between Ohio State and Michigan for me. Michigan for reasons other than football. Mm-hmm. I think if it's just football for me, I I I don't see a world where this Ohio State team is in the playoff.
1: I'll say it's Florida State solely because they're the only team that if they lose a game, it's done. Yeah. The other three in the That's top fair. four could
2: lose a game and still find a way into the playoff. Why does everybody hate Florida State? We were having this conversation off the air before the show started. Mm-hmm. Jordan Travis, you could make an argument, has been the best quarterback in college football this year. The rushing numbers tacked on to really efficient passing numbers. He's been an excellent passer. Keon Coleman helping him out. Big body, wide receivers. Johnny Wilson. But his rushing numbers really add on to his explosiveness as a player. It's an undefeated team, yet they're ranked fourth. They're the only team in the top four, I guess Ohio State, that had the balls to schedule a real opponent week one. Mm -hmm. Played LSU, the Camping World kickoff, neutral site. Heisman Balladers don't seem interested in Jordan Travis. His odds are nowhere to be found. He just feels totally irrelevant in that conversation. And then we bring up Florida State in the playoff rankings. They're like some also ran. Dude, they're 8-0. and oh. They were a preseason kind of darling. Everybody was like, Florida State should be favorite in the ACC, could beat Clemson, could run the table, get back into the playoff. Well, now they're doing it, and nobody wants to talk about them.
1: You know why? Because the ACC has kind of been a group of five conference it's, this year. It has like, felt that way. You look at it. I'm looking through the, the playoff rankings right now. Florida State is the only representative of the ACC in the entire 25. Like, UNC fell off a cliff after they lost to Virginia. You had a couple of nice stories earlier in the season. Uh, Or I guess Louisville. Louisville's in your top 25 yeah. here. They're at 13. Um, so you've got very little representation it's, it's like they're the AAC, not and the
2: ACC. It's not like they can build their resume going forward either because all they can do is hurt themselves. You go today to a god awful Pitt team. I mean, Pitt's horrible. Mm-hmm. You play Miami in two weeks, they've quit. Yes. You've got North Alabama. God bless. Uh, boy, I wish, as a Big Ten fan, I wish I could schedule games like that the final, the second to last weekend of the season. <laughs> North Alabama November 18th, and then at Florida, who is now dead. Graham Mertz playing like Graham Mertz again. You get shellacked by Georgia. All the goodwill early in the year for Billy Napier, gone. So they can't really help themselves. It just... Doesn't it feel interesting that a team everybody said was this good, was this caliber preseason, is proving that they are, and people just aren't interested?
1: They're just kind of the quiet team that has to—I mean, they're doing what Clemson did for so many years, right? Clemson was the the best team in a very sleepy ACC for a number of years. And nobody—like, they got their respect when they started stringing together seasons. They got respect because of what they had done in the past and how they had gotten into college football playoffs and just maintained undefeated seasons. That's the only reason why Clemson was able to get to where they got. And Florida State, this is year one of them being this good of the reiteration of Florida State, the new era of Florida State football. So they've got a little bit of work to do here in that regard. But listen, they've been fantastic this year. I think you're right. The one thing, and we kind of hit on this a couple weeks ago, you brought it up preseason, and I kind of dismissed the notion a little bit. But after it was after the Syracuse game, when Keon Coleman went up and made the one handed catch, it got to the point where there were a few too many sports center type moments, yeah. and that kind of pulled Jordan Travis out of the Heisman race and just more so highlighted Keon Coleman as a draft prospect.
2: It is when you watch the college football recap shows or when you're watching like the late game and they'll do the game breaks, all the highlights from the Florida State games. It's almost never a Jordan Travis highlight. You know what? I, it's Johnny Wilson crossing route. It's uh, Keon Coleman, one-handed catch. Being an athlete. It's the tight end whose name escapes me doing Jaheim something. Bell. Yes, Jaheen mm-hmm. Bell. Good player. Uh, it, but it's never Jordan Travis, and I feel like that's working against him a little
1: bit. You know what's funny? I, I was watching Center last night, and they had the top ten they're still showing the Keon Coleman in like the open for the top ten.
2: Yeah, they should still be showing the Ricky Pearsall from
1: a few weeks they ago should too. too.
2: That uh, was unbelievable.
1: All right, when we come back, we will dive into all things Michigan. The cheating update. We have a new. Uh, Piece of information for you every week, and and today we've got like a three course meal for you. Yeah, this so is, many things happened yesterday. We'll do all that when we come back. Chicago's college tailgate.
0: Shay and Tyler. Tyler. Chicago's college tailgate returns in a flash on the ESPN Chicago.
1: Tailgate here on ESPN 1000. Tyler Ocky, Shane Norland, talking some college football with you. As we dive into, uh, was this the biggest week of developments? Aside from maybe the when we found out this was a possibility of being a story, this was the biggest week of developments. So many different things happened. First of all, we'll start with the... Yeah, the, why don't you give us the rundown? The biggest bomb is, or I guess not a bomb, but the biggest news is that Connor Stallions has been fired.
2: He was fired yesterday. Was he fired or did he resign? Because I, I saw got a, fired. I got a notification late last night after the Nicole Auerbach reporting that Connor Stallions was fired. There was some Michigan reporting saying it was a resignation from his role. All right, I'm seeing Adam Rittenberg now say resigned.
1: For what it is. He's gone. I think uh, he was fired. It's the, the, the forced resignation. Yeah. All right. So he's gone. He has resigned from his position as of yesterday. Um, we've also got now the link back to the private investigation and the ties to Ohio State. I, I saw this come across the, the board yesterday where all of these um, – basically all the private investigating – being done for this and i think this is largely a a non-story with a big headline to it but it all ties back to ohio state i gotta say when i read the headline i thought it was oh ohio state was the ones that were cheating and michigan felt like they needed to get on their level no that's not what was happening here um but ohio state now has a little bit of a tie into this uh with everything that's going on and, and the private
2: investigating that was taking place of michigan do you understand what a dream scenario this is for me? That you might be the last man standing, <laughs> dude. This is incredible. As a Michigan State fan, like obviously two schools I hate: Michigan and Ohio State. Michigan with the most unprecedented, largest cheating scandal in the history of the sport. To the extent that, hey uh, Jimmy. Hang up the phone on the Mm -hmm. coach's meeting with the AD. We need to speak freely. Get the F out. That's amazing On on its own. Then you've got Michigan yesterday. We have papers that connect Ohio State to the private investigating firm that was hired to investigate us. If Ohio State did something illegal to burn down Michigan, and in the process of burning down Michigan, burns down themselves... What, me and Penn State fans? Let's meet up and celebrate. Well, because we know James Franklin is isn't unreal. grabbing any
1: sort of torch here.
2: Like, yeah, true. That's well, you just know how it is. Maybe that's the smartest thing is let's not get the fire close to ourselves. Let these two do it. Let these two eliminate themselves here. So, But the, on the Ohio State side, one, I think it's hilarious. Like Michigan, if I were them, I would never let these papers out. Because it's just saying... We cheated, but they uncovered it in a way that was uh, unethical. And it's like you still cheated. Right. Like if I'm stepping out on my wife and she hires a private investigator and the private investigator gets a camera through an apartment window and catches me nailing some other woman Mm -hmm. and then goes back to my wife and my wife wants to divorce me. I don't get to go, I have evidence that you hired a private investigator. No, no. I committed adultery. That's correct, yeah. At some point, you got to be accountable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do they think they're getting out of this because Ohio State hired
1: the investigating firm? They put Ohio State in the headline to make it a bigger story than it is. This is largely a non-story. This will have very little impact on anything that's going on. But it's a nice, juicy headline that Michigan is kind of like, oh, look over here. Well, we know we've got our dirty laundry over here that we're trying to take care of. Um, the other thing, you brought it up briefly there, but there was the coach's call with the commissioner of the, the Big Ten, Tony Petiti, who asks Jim Harbaugh to leave, I think, after like an hour on the call. Said, all
2: right, Jim. Yeah enough the to, standard yeah, business call for the big ten mm-hmm. and then they asked him to hang up and yep. they went 90 more minutes mm-hmm. and all the the
1: coaches were pretty much in lockstep about that some punishment needs to be handed down this season. the other thing the ads had a conversation as well basically the same thing the coaches did. We're going to have all the coaches or all the athletic directors from all the Big Ten universities on this call. And then Ward Manuel, Michigan athletic director, after about 30 to an hour, you're out. And all the rest of these guys are going to kind of speak their minds and say their piece on how they really
2: feel. Quickly on Ward Manuel. He's on the college football playoff selection committee. How the hell is he allowed to be in that room? You got to bomb him out of the committee. You got to find somebody to replace him. You can't let a guy whose university is under investigation for uh, let me get my list. I don't have time to go through all of the investigations. You got to get him out of the room. You just have to. On the side of the 80s and the coaches meeting with the commissioner of the Big Ten, I know a lot of people are going to go, well, whatever, the Big Ten, they're going to operate in the favor of their money. And of course, you're right. They're not going to screw Michigan in the terms of you can't play the games. They'll never do that. But I have a hard time believing with this level of pressure that the athletic director or that the commissioner of the Big Ten simply won't act. Because, Tyler, who employs the commissioner of the Big Ten? The universities. Who runs the athletic departments? The athletic directors. Mm -hmm. You effectively had a meeting with your bosses where they said, you need to do something. If you as the commissioner of the Big Ten have the coaches pressuring you to do something, the ADs pressuring you to do something, and you do nothing, you will lose the coaches, you will lose the athletic directors, you will lose the university presidents, you will lose your job. I have a very difficult time believing he just does nothing. This was the interesting part, too, because we know these investigations oftentimes
1: take a long time to see any sort of significant punishment handed down. But Pete Thamel was reporting that it does seem like there is a little bit of giddy-up on this. It does seem like they are going to try to get
2: some sort of punishment handed down this season. Yeah, because, Tyler, they're cheating scumbags. Mm -hmm. Like, at the end of the day... And I know that every, it's all hearsay. And it, No, there's evidence now. Yeah. You have a well, computer drive that was maintained and accessed by coaches with video from sideline scouts uploaded to it. You have Connor Stallion's evidence on paper trails that he was at some of these games. You've got him in Bobby Valentine garb on the sideline at Central Michigan for a game you had nothing to do with. You had a schedule and budget for the rest of this season, so it's not like it's over. And every game you've played the last two and a half years is compromised. and the, the, Something
1: has to happen. And, and you have the this week, too, Purdue head coach Ryan Walters. He goes on his radio show and yep. says, this isn't a, an alleged this, alleged that. No, we have the evidence that these guys were at our games. We know for, we a, know fact, for a fact, I believe, was yes. the line. Mm-hmm. So he, he's saying that about Michigan. And that's really probably the most definitive statement we've seen about or from a coach that is i guess the victim of of what's happening with with Michigan right now in the Big 10 that's the most definitive statement i think we've seen from yeah. a head football coach amid this entire scandal.
2: And if for all the people who were touting Deion Sanders, you can mail the game plan. You still got to stop it. Okay, well, the Athletic pulled 50 FBS coaches. 94% of the po- coaches polled said Michigan crossed the line. They asked, what's the severity? 1 to 10. The average response on the severity was 7.5. They asked, what's the severity? 1 to 5. Average response, 4.2. Everybody in the country thinks that this team did something that's extremely bad. In fact, they asked coaches, how many points a game do you think this is worth? And the most answered response, 14.
1: Two touchdowns is a
2: lot. Coaches and around you know what? the country think you did something that is beyond the pale in terms of cheating. You know, when you think, too, about what
1: Michigan has done this year, like well, you and I are both in agreement. Michigan, cheating or not is eight 0 at this point. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, no doubt about that. But if you take fourteen points off the board off of their scores or like you you, sh- you tighten the, the margin of victory by fourteen points, that feels more like what the Michigan team is that we thought they would be coming into this season.
2: Yeah, thirty eight to ten at Minnesota feels a lot more realistic than the fifty two to ten that we saw. Mm-hmm. Like or I don't even forty five seventeen. I'm not telling you they're that good, but Dude, look at conference games around the country. Nobody goes on the road and bombs their opponent 52 to 10. It doesn't happen. You put up 52 in
1: back-to-back weeks in conference. And I, I k- know it's at Minnesota and versus Indiana, but it's
2: still you don't see that. I keep going back to the Rutgers game at halftime was 14-7. The Nebraska game, uh, I believe Nebraska scored early. Minnesota, they got on the board first. Indiana, they got on the board first. Those games at halftime were not blowouts. And then in the second half of every game this season, you're covering the second half number and you are killing your opponent. It's just you're either the greatest halftime adjustment team ever or you have information. And, Tyler, at this point, I'm ready to go. Here's what should happen. I'm not going to ban them from games. I'll keep their eligibility. Jim Harbaugh, the head coach, Jesse Minter, the defensive coordinator, and Sharon Moore, the offensive coordinator, cannot be on the sideline the rest of the year. Bye. But I think it goes deeper than that because when you it does. But they're the three that primarily benefited. They're the three that got their players in the best positions to succeed. That compromised the results of the games. Goodbye. You're done for the year. If this team's good enough to win it without you, we will legitimize it. I'll legitimize it. But those three, good gone. You can't be on the sideline the rest of the season. I think you may need to hand out some more suspensions than that coaching staff. It's fine. You want to send Mike Hart packing? I'm good with it. But my thing is, I don't want to punish the kids on the team. They've earned their spot. And they couldn't do anything about it. I don't believe that they were involved. I think they were benefactors of a scheme that was over their heads. I think they knew about it, but you're going to be the guy that stands up in the room to
1: Jim Harbaugh and says, this is wrong. It's not the sportsman commercial. Right we're not saying coach that ball was actually off of me we'll send this ball the other way
2: hey we got this stallions guy over he's telling us they're in a blitz package but uh just ignore it we're gonna stick with the play we called Mm -hmm. it's just not gonna happen yeah so i but to me like whoever you want to suspend on the coaching staff but minimum those three get them off the sideline can't do it for the rest of the season let's see what you are without all of this i think that's a fair compromise here you're not gonna find anything
1: perfect when you're this deep into the season and there's this level of playoff implications on the line. You know, the easiest thing in the world to just kind of make this whole thing go away is if Purdue were to somehow go out and win today.
2: Yeah, or if you lose to Penn State or Ohio State, Mm -hmm. and then we can all just, like, be happy. It's all gone. You're not going to the playoff. Doesn't matter. We'll live with whatever happened. They'll rip your two Big Ten title banners down, and we'll all move on. Yep.
1: All right, when we come back, we will start previewing some of the big games for today, including Washington taking a trip to take on USC. We'll do that when we come back on Chicago's College Tailgate.
0: Chicago's College Tailgate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago. Now back to the show. show. Chicago's College Tailgate has it all. With Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago.
1: 10 slates, and one of the highlight games of the day takes place in the Pac-12. Maybe not the matchup we thought we were getting when we eyed this down at the beginning of the year. Washington and USC being played in SoCal today, but USC at home is checking in at about a three-point underdog. It's I've seen it fluctuate between two and a half and three so far today. But a lot of people, I think, really like the Trojans in this matchup. Uh, at 6.30, ABC tonight's the primetime game. But Michael Penix Jr., he has a chance to really put a stamp on his Heisman candidacy if he goes out yeah. and balls out today, which you can against this defense.
2: On the flip side, doesn't it feel like Caleb Williams has a chance to put the NFL like, tape together? Yeah. The one yeah, I mean, mixed struggled. tape NFL edition? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like this, think about Washington in this game. Down, I think, three safeties. The back end of their defense is really banged up and already not great. They struggle defensively maybe as much as USC does, not quite to the extent. But you talk about the last few weeks for Washington, you're living on a knife edge. You survive Oregon on kicker error at the end of that game. Bo Nix played well enough to send you home in your own house. Mm -hmm. You survive Oregon. Now that's Oregon. That's a team I think is playing the best football in America. Mm -hmm. So you don't get dinged for that. But then you have to survive Arizona State at your own house as a twenty-eight point favorite, and then you have to survive Stanford as a twenty-seven point favorite. It they are not playing their best football. In fact, you could argue they're playing bad football. And you got to go to Los Angeles a reeling USC team that snuck out of Cal with a win 50 to 49 yeah. avoided a two-point conversion that would have doomed them and it just kind of feels to me like the momentum's swinging the other way here where like Washington you're either going to have to have a really impressive performance or you're going to lose one of these games i think with Washington and their struggles out of the Oregon game
1: i think there's two there's two schools of thought here One is that, okay, that Oregon game is going to, you knew it was going to suck the life out of them, right? No one was expecting them to go out and and put up another, like, go out and cover a four-touchdown spread against Arizona State. But I will say this. The one thing about Washington is that even though they've been sleepy out of the, the Oregon game, you've still seen a game where they were really good offensively and a game where they were really good defensively. And it just—you haven't had the complimentary football that you've needed to go out and beat a team like Oregon.
2: Stanford, you should look really good offensively. Their defense is horrid, as of, just as a football team, Stanford's horrid. They lost to Sacramento State, man. I know they had that second half where their wide receivers went nuts against Colorado. Big comeback win, nobody yeah. saw coming. This Stanford team, this is not old school David Shaw, Stanford Andrew Luck, or who's the other guy, the quarterback. From Stanford, yeah, um, I can't think of the Hogan, Kevin Hogan. Yeah, mm-hmm. this oh, yeah, isn't yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. this isn't those Stanford teams with Christian McCaffrey. This is a god awful football yeah. team that the ACC might not be happy to be receiving. <laughs> like you should be good offensively against that Stanford team. How bad they were defensively, Tyler. I don't know that they're just sleepy, Washington. I think they might be compromised. They have so many injuries adding up on the back end of that defense. Well, the one guy, too,
1: that's not on your injury report very often, but I think is injured, is Michael Penix Jr.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, you go back to that Oregon game, the number of times late, that late third and the entire fourth quarter, he was getting killed. Mm -hmm. The Washington offensive line started to get pushed back. Oregon physical up front was assaulting him. And every single drop back, it felt like he was taking another horrible hit. Looked like he battled a rib injury in that game. He had a lot of pain. And I think the Arizona State game, he was still in pain. The Stanford game, he had a better offensive performance. But he just doesn't look right. And I don't know how easy it is to get healthy this quickly when you're battling something in the rib area. This feels a little bit like Justin Herbert last year. I was going to say, yep. Mm-hmm. And you, it's just something that sort of sticks with you the rest of yeah, the year. And you just never quite get right, and it impacts you in certain spots. When you have to survive Arizona State and you have to survive Stanford, and then you go on the road to USC, I know what a bitter disappointment USC has been, but you just, this one feels like a Trojan spot for me. You know, I'm actually on the other side here because I, I do
1: think Washington like you can put up 50 to to 60 points on this USC team. You should. But with, they with, can put up 50 to 60 on you. I just I, I don't know if USC is going to get to that level. Now here's the interesting too. Interesting thing here is that USC with a victory today if they were to pull off the win, they now move into first place in the Pac-12. Yeah. Which is something that Like This USC team, even though they're 20th right now and even though they have two losses on the season, they're not going to be in the playoff, but they could absolutely ruin the Pac-12 swan song and and knock everything and and just screw everything up because they still have a game with Oregon coming up too. And if they were to pull off an upset in
2: that one as well,
1: then you're talking about a really, really messed up Pac-12. That
2: was my my point was going to be for, I think, USC fans. Winning the Pac-12 is... The ideal result. Like if you ask Chris Black, he probably wants to win the Pac twelve. Right. But For here's the thing college football fans, mm-hmm. that is my nightmare scenario. Because I want to see Oregon or Washington in the playoffs. Here's what I want to know though. Does USC
1: want to win the Pac twelve? How interested is USC in winning the Pac twelve?
2: Do you think there's a little bit of, I'm just here to get to the NFL and Caleb Williams? He doesn't really seem bothered, and I, I'm not calling him out. I'm just mm-hmm. when I'm watching the games, he'll throw the worst interception you've ever seen, and he'll go over to the sideline, and he just looks chill about it. Well, here's the thing:
1: I think he realizes there's like there's no other mindset he can have. He knows this team around him is garbage. Like there are not the weapons that he's had prior to this season. There is not the supplementary help on defense. And he's never had help defensively throughout his entire career because Lincoln Riley continues to to employ Alex Grinch wherever he goes. Like he's never had the help around him aside from last year when he had Jordan right. Addison. And I think it's starting to get to the point where you're seeing flaws in him because every
2: possession is hearable. How do they look this bad? Like what is Lincoln Riley doing? This goes to your point about do they want to win the Pac twelve? I wonder if there are donors who just hope this season ends in garbage fire so that Lincoln Riley will go to the NFL. Like, please just get out. But is that even going to be an option for him? I don't know. Like, that, this is, it's so odd what's going on with USC. They had a great transfer class, right? You bring in Bear Alexander from Mm -hmm. Georgia, you kind of bolster that defense, just hasn't worked because you continue to employ an idiot. To coordinate your defense and Alex Grinch, Lincoln Riley just coaches arrogant. But the players around Caleb aren't great. The offensive line's not great. The wide receivers struggle to get open a lot. You don't have some premier running back. It just how did it get to this point where this was the year it was supposed to be the culmination of a Heisman QB and you brought in some pieces to fix the defense, dude? It feels like they might be a three loss team again. I don't well,
1: I, listen I can, to the last three games. Home against Washington at Oregon, home against UCLA. Three loss team. That could be a four or five loss team.
2: I can and the Oregon game just sticks out sore thumb to me. I can never ever pick this USC team to go up to Otson Stadium and get a win. Like they're gonna be a seven and a half point dog. I think it might be more. I think it might be double digits. That Oregon team is playing as well as anyone Do in America. Do we have a look
1: ahead on that yet?
2: Like you don't have to agree with me that they're the best team in the country, mm-hmm. but you have to agree with me that they're, they're playing, like one playing as of the top well as four or as any. five. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that is already one of the ten hardest places to play in the country, if not one of the five hardest places yeah. to play in the country. And if you've got a checked out
1: roster, like tonight, we're going to see if USC really wants to win this Pac-12.
2: If they play well tonight, and I do, I'm on the side of the Trojans tonight. Mm -hmm. If they play well tonight, you buy back it a little bit and go, maybe you go up to Oregon, you have some fight in you. I still don't see it. But could you cover a number against
1: Oregon? I think that enters the conversation.
2: My read on this game is less, I think, USC's good and in a bounce-back spot. More, I think Washington is straight-up compromised. There's just
1: so much going on on that side. I just think that a compromised Washington is still significantly better than USC. Maybe. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. We'll find out tonight. That game 630 ABC. When we come back, our producer, Justin Pottinger, was at the most, the upset that had the most college football playoff implications last week. And we've got some questions for him because we need to figure out we need to trace the back the breadcrumbs of one Justin Pottinger. He doesn't even know where they are in Lawrence. He's not like usually when we're we talk to producers, their heads perk up back there. His head's still tucked behind the computer. He's screen. still hungover. <laughs> we'll talk to Justin about the upset in Lawrence coming up next. Chicago's
0: Lake. college tailgate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago. Chicago's college tailgate has it all. Now back to the show with Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago.
1: Talking college football with you every single Saturday. Don't forget. There's also the Chicago's college tailgate recap podcast. We get it out for you every Monday or Tuesday. Recapping the entire weekend of college football And one of the points of discussion that we had last week was obviously recapping the big upset down in Lawrence, Kansas, taking down Oklahoma. But also, we were wondering about some texts that we received from Justin Pottinger, our producer, who was down at the game in Lawrence. He was a part of the brigade to the lake after with the goalposts in hand. So, Justin, uh, we've got a couple of things that we need to know from you. All right. First of all. Big weather delay that we had down there, right? Oh,
3: huge weather delay.
1: And one of the things that Shay and I were confused about was you said eventually it got to the point where you tapped out. Yes. You left, you left the scene.
2: I had to. Yes, I did. You so. were so, like off to
1: the bars. Good hey, vibes at the bars. Dude, uh,
2: Justin, I don't know if you know this, but we do radio. Can
3: you speak onto the mic, please? Is, is this the thing? Is this the thing now? That's the thing. Okay, so... Uh... What happened, man? There was lightning. So all, all the students all the students had to leave. It was brutal. There oh, was so a, this was a forced exit? Pretty much. It was either that or you had to stand, like, indoors for, like, I don't know how. It was, like, a 30-minute delay. So me and my buddies are like, all right, we're going to go to the bar across the street until the delay's done. We went what there. Sta- what football stadium has a bar across the street? And allows re-entry. Dude. Lawrence first of all they always allow re-entry especially for this circumstance usually it's so, just gates open like they just let anyone go in um they, they not let kidding. you
1: back in after yes. your your trip to the bar
3: yeah you just had to like flash your ticket but they weren't really looking um so yeah they, they just wanted butts dude, in seats. literally they let everyone back in so there was like 7 minutes left till half it was a tsunami man like i was Drenched. It was cold. It was it was brutal out there. But you know, Kansas, we had the spirit. We had a we had the feel we were going to take this game. I know you both were on the Sooners, but Jayhawks were going to take this. And dude, for the rest of the game, just I blacked out. <laughs> couldn't even couldn't tell you what happened in that whole second half. All I remember is being at Potter Lake, just screaming, throwing the goalpost in the water. Man, it it was awesome. So we did- ca- carried it like a mile uphill, uphill. By the way, it was awful. So many students, man. It was crazy. Did
2: you get your hands on the on the goalpost? Yeah, were you, you the post? Them with the post?
3: I tried to. I unfortunately didn't. We got a little piece though. Um, a couple younger buddies of mine in our fraternity, or whatever, brought a little piece back to our house. So I was able a to piece see, of the goalpost. A, post, a piece of the goalpost. We got that. I was able to touch that. So hey, that's unbelievable, dude. How big was this piece? I maybe I have a picture. It's not that big, but. It was like, it two, like two people had to hold it. So is it like guess, a piece
2: of the padding, or did dude, you no? Break it was off it, a, it piece a piece of the post. How do you, what did you, you have a p-
3: hacksaw
1: handy? Dude, like how need, did you
3: get a piece of the goalpost? I don't know how these kids did it, man. But dude, and the best part is, right when the game ended, like obviously they know we're gonna storm the field. They had at least thirty security guards around this goalpost. Nothing. You just Nothing. knocked them over? Dude, so they, what, they're students, man. They're student students. They don't care. <laughs> they're they're going to let these
2: kids go through. They don't care. <laughs> they're like, we want to rip the goalpost down, too. We'll help. Dude, get it out. It was,
3: it, was, it was awesome.
1: So, wait. Awesome. I want to know the process. Like, what what does it look like when you're walking by a security guard? Like, how do you get this thing out of the stadium? Obviously, you walk it through the tunnel, but Dude. do you not catch glares? Like, how, how does a security guard not stop this? They, dude, there was just, just so, many, so
3: many students. And this is like a tradition for Kansas. Like, this isn't the first time we've done this. Probably the third time. But you haven't in, won that many football games. Yeah, You've been throwing exactly. goalposts in lakes. We don't, we don't know how to win. So this is what we do. We, we celebrate by taking the goalpost, hanging it, and just dragging it to the pond, man. But it, it was an awesome time. It was incredible. What an amazing day to be
2: Incredible. a KU grad.
1: Dude, there's no bigger FOMO than college sports right mega upset and the campus scene after. Yeah.
2: That's the biggest FOMO I get in sports. I want to one day I want to storm the field. But you can like if I go to a game you can't go to like Virginia Tech playing I don't know Florida State mm-hmm. and it's like a down year in Blacksburg. If I'm a a, a neutral fan, I can't storm the field. I don't think I stormed once. And we I'm talking both basketball and
1: football. We had one year where Syracuse beat three top 10 teams and I don't think I was like I was working for some of the games so I wasn't able to to storm the field for any of them or what? storm the court.
2: Like, I never did either. I think when you go to a Big Ten school, it's just not really a thing. Like, we, dude, we stormed the field
3: 2021 at home. We won, what was it? 17 to 14 versus South Dakota. That was my Are first. You, ki- you that can't was, storm the field on South, South Dakota. 7, Seventeen, the first game of the year, we stormed. The, that was my first storm. Were you the only one storming? Like Dude, it was. It was actually the funniest thing. It was so storm embarrassing. The field it, was, on so, South it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing, but it was fun. I had fun. All right. Well, we're glad
1: you had a good time. Glad you made a, a core memory down in lawrence good times down in Lawrence. so congratulations on your big win there all right when we come back we want to talk a little about realignment because there is a sad potential end coming today and we're just starting to see more and more of these casualties start to pop up we'll discuss next chicago's college tailgate returns in a flash on espn chicago